Hey folks, this is Always Be Watching. On this week's show, we have the new HBO dramedy Mrs. Fletcher. That show's got it all. Family tension, betrayals, explorations of oneself, transgender relationship hurdles, and a whole lot of pornography. Can't wait to talk about that one, Chris. You had me at pornography. I figured. Also, that was the voice of Chris Yates. He is going to be talking about a brand new TV show called Living With Yourself. That show offers a literal Paul Rudd bargain. It's two Paul Rudds for the price of one. That's a great deal. I don't care what sort of mathematics or you know economic doctrine you live by. Also on the show, M. Night Shyamalan. He has a new Apple TV Plus show called Servant. Spoiler alert, the first episode ends with a twist. But is it any good? We'll find out. And finally, Chris is going to talk to us about the brand new Kevin Smith stage show. It's a documentary called Silent But Deadly. Now, he has me blocked on Twitter. Chris or Kevin, you have to wait to find out. Folks, this is Always Be Watching. We'll be talking about TV in just a moment. Folks, this is Always Be Watching. I already said that like seven times in the intro. My name's Dan Barrett. I'm joined here by the handsome and roguish... Chris Yates is my name. I was put off by that. I've never been called either of those words, but thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Don't think I haven't noticed. I need a little boost at the moment. That's great. And I'm sorry for blocking you on Twitter, I've got to say. Um, you son of a... <laughs> you were really annoying. No, it wasn't. I mean, maybe you blocked me. <laughs> sorry. Oh. I've, I've never checked. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Kevin Smith blocked me on Twitter. I'm... <laughs> I, a, I, I do know the story why. I was going to say, like, I can't imagine why. I have a theory why, which is that I went to his live show, and then I tweeted my honest thoughts about it. <laughs> Wasn't it because you told him that he needed to make clerks? No, you told him not to make no, no, that, more rats too, that's or an, something. That's another story. <laughs> so back in the day when the internet was fresh, it was the internet was fresh out of the womb. Okay, Kevin Smith got onto the internet pretty quickly and set up like online forums and stuff for fans of the Viewersk universe to come along and chat all day about all sorts of Kevin Smith related things. And this is in the early days where, you know, I think Chasing Amy hadn't even come out by that point. So, you know, really early Kevin Smith. Sure. As an early adopter of online film sort of culture type things, I used to loiter around those boards. And one night Kevin Smith got onto his forum and said, more rats too, good idea or bad idea? And I happened to be online at the time and I went, you know what? Bad idea. What a jerk. So he didn't make more rats too. And, you know, he essentially, anytime people were interviewing him about it for the next few years, he said, well, you know, I asked the people on the forum and they weren't into it. <laughs> and if you ever go back and ever find that thread, there's not that many people like talking to him. There's like about six people that replied back. <laughs> did they all say don't do it? Well, I know I did. <laughs> I think I was the most vocal. So let's do this. We're, gonna, we're talking about Kevin Smith. So we'll just start talking about yeah, Kevin Smith. Yes, let's do it. So, I watched, um, what's it called? <laughs> Kevin Smith's Silent But Deadly. Silent But Deadly. Uh, my kid, I think the, the weirdest she ever got with me was I told her that I told a story about her boyfriend. She's been dating this guy, Corey, for five years, who I love. Absolutely. I'm not like one of those fathers who's like, you better not. I'm a realist and shit. And they've been together five years and stuff. So, like, I, I've, I've liked this kid from the jump, man. First week... They were dating. They started dating like freshman year in high school. I had my eye on him and stuff. Not in that dopey, you know, father of the bride kind of way. I'm not Steve Martin. But I was just, you know, hey, man, this is the guy that, you know, she's giving her heart to and stuff. And he was like Lloyd Dobler. Like, he was just like, everything she said was fascinating to the point where I was like, he's up, buddy. She's not that interesting. But, like, he was deeply into her. Not just like, oh, my God, I want to see her naked, which I'm sure was involved somewhere. But more of like, I like 
her. I like who she is and what she says and what she stands for and stuff like that. Okay, Chris Yates, talk about this. I'm just going to get a newspaper and read while you're on about it. Okay, so here's the thing with Kevin Smith. I went and saw Clerks in the cinema when it was released. I'm of that vintage. This is 1995? In 1995. 94? Oh, something like that. Um, Movies were still black and white back then. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk. Everyone was very excited. We were young, kind of, you know, we were young and impressionable and we were really into, like, art films and stuff. I'd watched, I'd recently watched A Razorhead. Um, I, I knew what a black and white sort of lo-fi cinema was all about. You'd heard of a Jim Jarmusch? I'd heard of Jim Jarmusch, watched a few of his, watched some, um, oh, Hal Hartley was big back in those days. Oh, I loved <laughs> Hal Hartley. Uh, anyway, went along to see this thing, uh, sat through an hour and a half of clerks with my friends just gushing while I went like, this is garbage. I hated that movie. Meanwhile, <laughs> little old me, I would have been 14 years old maybe at that point, couldn't get into the movies for R-rated movies. Oh, so Wrote yeah. a review of it and it's like, oh, there's a movie where there's jokes about Star Wars in it. This I've got to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had to wait for it to come out in video. I went to my local video store and campaign that they actually got the movie <laughs> yeah, do you, Oh, yeah, yeah, right. They would have had to order it specially for me. He ordered it specially for me to see it. Wow, that's amazing. Um, anyway, I hated it. And then uh, eventually, so what was the next? Next movie is more Rats. Correct, sir. Went and saw more rats. I was like, the thing that I hated about Clerks was that it was dressed up as this kind of like thing that I could, that was incredibly obvious that it was not. Like, I didn't really hate the movie, but I just hated the idea of people getting excited about this film because it was just trash. And I was like, and because you're a contrarian, can't we just like, can't we just appreciate some trash? And uh, and then more rats two came, and it was. Absolute trash, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, so I kind of did a backflip on it all. And then, uh, like, and then, I don't know, the Jan Bob thing got a bit old, and I just kind of got a bit bored with it, and I was just like, and I just decided I didn't like him after that. And I didn't like, and so then Dogma was okay. I'm going to put it out there. I've never really liked Jay and Silent Bob. What's the, um, as characters, as characters or, or people? Like, I think, I mean, definitely as people now, <laughs> but uh, as characters and the, like, Clerks animated series, that's the only time I've ever really kind of liked them because they kind of really made them super cartoonish. And yeah, I don't even, kind of didn't even know that existed until this very moment. Six episodes. Um, is it as good as the Trailer Park Boys animated series? Uh, I've not seen the animated series. Of the Trailer Park, Park Boys. Oh, yeah, sure. As opposed to that thing I was just talking about having seen. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the Trailer Park Boys animated series is pretty good. First episode's terrible, but it gets better. So anyway, yes, my, my relationship with Kevin Smith has been... I've, I've, I've very rarely cared. I didn't like any of those stupid Ben Affleck movies. Or the... What's that? Who's that other guy that's in all the other jerk movies he made? I don't know. Which one? <laughs> There's Jason Lee. He's What's, in a couple of them. No, Jason Lee's all right. Uh, who's in... Um, uh, anyway, so this is how little I care. So anyway, I was... Uh, it's uh, this uh, special, which isn't that new. I think it came out last year. Um, so this is the special that he was recording, I believe, right as he had his heart attack. Right. So I read this after I'd watched it. It wasn't, wasn't, a cl- wasn't clear he was on the verge of death during the thing. But I um, wanted to talk about it because I really, really liked it. And I know how much you hate him. So I wanted to... Uh... Look, I don't hate him. <laughs> but I wanted to rub it in your face. There's a thing where I feel that his shtick has gotten a little bit old. And essentially, like I've seen a number of clips of him up on stage doing stuff. And this is part of my problem when I saw him live. Sure. Which is that they got up there. And first of all, I kind of feel that they're old enough where maybe he should have some perspective in life. So case in point... I remember him doing some sort of monologue on stage where he was talking about how 
he realized that his grandmother was into like some really nasty like sex stuff for her <laughs> grandfather to have been willing to give up his career in boxing to you know settle down and have like a low paid job in order to do that right and like I remember hearing this and it just kind of felt really juvenile which I appreciate like juvenile humor I'm not against juvenile humor but they just sort of seemed like something that's like well you know you're a guy who's like at least 50 at this point like I kind of feel like you should maybe just pick your juvenile moments rather than <laughs> just like revel in thinking that your grandmother loves anal sex okay and it's like that can be a joke in itself but like there was no craft to telling that as a joke it's not a great joke and then I heard him do the same shtick again on an interview uh, who was being interviewed by it was on a podcast recently I can't remember where it was and I'm thinking this is the same garbage material I'd heard a couple of years ago and you're just like, spinning it as though like it's just coming to you like straight off the spot and like on that podcast I forget the host, who the host was but he called him on it straight away and said no no oh, I was the Joe Rogan podcast <laughs> yeah, right. and Joe Rogan called him on it saying that well no I don't think your grandmother was really into anal sex I think that your grandfather was a fighter and fighters know they have to give up fighting at a certain point because it's really painful and they're close to death every time they get into a ring and hearing Rogan say that, I'm like, you know, that's kind of what a grown-up says. He, like, looked at a human moment and said, this is probably the reality, dude. Anyway, um, so <laughs> you should see the steam coming out of his ears. Um, but the, so, like, I've never really been a massive fan either. I've got a few friends that are very big fans, and I sort of thought, oh, it started off, and I've, I can't even remember. It was on, um, it's on ABC iView at the moment. So I flicked, I flicked to the ABC comedy, and there it was um, last night. Yeah, I think it was on a proper TV last night. Yeah, actual TV. And um, look, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I, I liked him a lot more than I ever have before. He told some really great stories. But the main reason, I guess, I wanted. To bring it up on this podcast and especially to talk to you about it because heaps of it was dedicated to him talking about um, directing a couple of episodes of the Netflix show The Flash and he talked about how he got into It's not really a Netflix show but go on. Oh sorry what, who did it? Well show- it's made for the CW in the US Oh yes the CW which is important to the story because In Australia they do have it here on Netflix Yeah so um, uh, that was important to the story because it, it all started with this big story about how Jay is a massive CW fan and it's like he loves all those shows on there. He's always loved all those shows and he's always wanted to be a part of it. And when he started telling, um, you know, he started uh, telling Kevin Smith that he should watch The Flash because he knew it was Kevin Smith's favorite comic book character and stuff. And he was like, oh, look, I don't know if I can go to one, go watch one of these shows. And he was like, you got to do it. You got to do it. And eventually... He got over the line because there was like a, um, there's some bad guy in it that's like a shark with legs. Um, that's probably King Shark. I'm King guessing. Shark, that's him. Yeah. And he said, um, <laughs> he said it was like uh, Jay rang him at like three in the morning, who lives ac- around the corner from him, and said, you know, oh my God, they've got, you know, he was like, oh my God, who's dead, you know? And he said, no, 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 the King Shark's on the Flash. You got to watch this thing. You got to watch it. He was like, all right, and got up and watched it. And anyway, it turned into this whole thing where he became. He got right into the show as well, and so it became a thing that they were watching together and they were talking about together, and then this kind of like weird series of events led to him directing a few episodes of it. And um, But it's really fascinating from that kind of television industry perspective of something that you really enjoy, Dan, where uh, it sort of talks about the relationship and the role of the director in these TV shows, and he's just like, you know, I'm, pro- I'm sure probably more in his case than anyone else, that like, you know, the shows make like the people that make the shows every week make the shows and the directors kind of come in and don't really have that much input into how it actually goes and how it runs down so he kind of just hearing him describe the process of it I found very interesting yeah 
Uh, I will say I have seen a couple of the episodes he's directed. The show has never looked more visually uninteresting. <laughs> well, that's... I mean, it literally sounds like he just kind of turned up and ate burgers that's- and watched and, you know, they sort of... They, he described it as every now and then they kind of turned around and go, how's that boss? And he'd be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that looks fine. But there was a really great bit about how... Um, they wrote. Uh, no, I mean, the things to keep in mind with TV is that it very much is a machine. The way they totally, this. and they said, yeah, and it was yeah. an inter- I guess it was just kind of interesting hearing him talk about it from that perspective, especially yeah. when you see these, you know, guest director names pop up on these things all the time, and you watch it, and you just go like, oh, that didn't really feel that different but, to a regular episode, particularly with network shows. So obviously, things like a Netflix series and some of the like cable dramas, like you really do notice the craft that specific yeah. directors, like the flourish that a director will bring. Yeah, something. but for like an episode of the week, particularly on, like procedural yeah. or one of these CW superhero shows. Like, it's very much the look is the same week in, week out. Yeah, they, they, that's right. They're not going to try yeah. and change it too much. Which, that's what the audience want. Like, if the show feels and looks weird on a week, like, the audience rebels against that. Yeah. Um, but there was just... There was a really interesting anecdote about how... Um, when he goes, like Jay insisted he go with him to the to Vancouver where they were shooting it. And he was like, all right, yeah, you can come, of course. Because I know how much you love... What's... Is one called Arrow? Is that, yeah, yeah. So, which I think is the worst of the lot. <laughs> yeah, of it, that was sure. like that was what he was the biggest fan of, and he just was like, oh, "I'm going to get to meet the dude from the Arrow. It's going to be the greatest weekend of my life." And um, and basically, the producers had written in a role for Jay without actually checking to see if he was going to come along, just because they assumed <laughs> he would sort of be there with him. And lo and behold, he was, and so he got to do this speaking role in there. And he said it was the only time other than the birth of his daughter that he's ever seen him cry, which was really funny. But, uh, and like, no, I really enjoyed the candidness of it. I really enjoyed the kind of, like, it didn't feel like stand-up at all. I mean, there was very few laughs, and it's sort of just, it's, it's much more like just, um, you know, him telling his story, which was interesting, I think. And it just gave me a little bit of uh, in, in a renewed kind of appreciation for him as a somewhat interesting person who has found themselves in this kind of, however briefly tied up in this Hollywood machine and had a little bit of power and kind of did some, I don't know, did did something with it that was uh, at least true to himself, If even if that himself is quite, is a maybe fairly two-dimensional uh, cartoon character, as he would probably joke himself. Yeah. Like, I, I certainly don't hate the guy. But I, it just irritates me. And I think it's just... It's a complete lack of perspective and like just worldliness, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's it too. And you think about like, how he, he may be worldly as a person in real life, but he never projects that. He as must have been quite young when Clerks was made. Like, oh, he yeah, must have been like, pretty. He must have been in his twenties or whatever. 20s, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like to get swept up into the Hollywood kind of machine that early. Um, you probably do miss out on a lot of the. Um, harsh realities of life I don't know but anyway so that's it Uh, if you're a fan of Kevin Smith you would definitely love it if you're somebody who um, you know is interested in hearing about that kind of stuff you would probably like it as well and if not don't worry about it who cares and that's streaming now on ABC iView that's now on ABC iView and probably will show up on ABC Comedy again um, live because they tend to replay everything a hundred times Okay. <laughs> Dan, I've got a question for you. Yes, sir. It's a big question. Stop playing with that microphone. Sorry, I was trying to like correct the... That's not a I, question, I, I sort of that's broke, a statement. I'd broken the radio station a little bit when I was playing the microphone. When you were so. bored out of your brain while I was talking about Kevin Smith. Like, Kevin Smith, please. When will this end? Kevin Smith movie. It's funny. I thought you were more of a fan. I did remember that um, when I started doing my notes, I was like, oh, no, that's right. He hates him. Well, it's because the this first This will be more fun films, than I thought. The first couple of films are kind of fun. And like, even a, like two or three weeks ago, I was like trying to rewatch Chasing Amy. And for the first like two thirds of it, like it's actually a really fun movie, but then it just becomes a little bit 
Essentially, the f- film falls apart when Jay and Silent Bob come into it. <laughs> yeah, right, well. But what works about the movie is that it's actually a human grounded story that, you know, it's kind of funny and yeah. yeah, just spoke a little bit more to like the humanity of people. And like Clerks, I think, as very performative as some of the dialogue is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's it's very stagey. Yeah, it is stagey, but it does. But it does. But like it does a thing. Like it's a. Yeah. I don't actually believe that all dialogue needs to be naturalistic. No. I kind of enjoy when a director sounds like well, a writer director kind of sounds like the writer director. I love David Mamet films, yeah. and his films do not sound naturalistic at all. It's no, very no, absolutely. Quirky like lines of dialogues and turns of phrases. Uh, you know, obviously like Aaron Sorkin, like I enjoy that. Kevin Smith, I think for the first few films, like I kind of enjoyed what he was doing there. But like then Dogma comes along and it just becomes like this sort of grand, no. over comically sort of silly. Sort of yeah. To it. And it just kind of spokes to the fact that I just don't think he cares enough. Mm, that's an interesting perspective to have on it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I've got better thoughts when I've had a few beers with me, Chris. All right, we'll do it. We'll, do, we'll pick it up another time. We, we, what we need to do is find somebody who really, really likes him, and then we'll both have some fun with that. Because no, because I can't stand those people. <laughs> people who cannot look at Kevin Smith critically annoy me. Uh, even better. That would be more fun for me if they're there and you're there too. And, and right now, I just alienated the three <laughs> listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least two of them. Um, Dan, what have you been watching? Shut me up. Chris? While you were gallivanting around with little spoken word things on the ABC iView, <laughs> I was watching some hardcore dramedy oh. from HBO. Emphasis on the phrase hardcore. I watched Mrs. Fletcher. We're free from our kids. Take a long bath, turn off, and think about opening up to new things. Oh College is a big leap. And not everyone's ready. We're going to do a little role play about consent. I didn't consent to being bored out of my school. Now, you told me you'd watched this show. Yep. And I asked if it was a gritty reboot of Murder, She Wrote. And unfortunately not. I was disappointed to find out it's not. Yeah. But I will say that if you want to see some Jessica Fletcher on the big screen, uh, there's a film out at the moment called Knives Out. And there is a sequence where you see some Jessica Fletcher. Mm. Anyway, it was very good. Chris Yates, you told me you were never going to see that movie. But whatever, it's just giving you exactly what you want. It is. I mean, I, I, I rethink everything. But right now, I'm talking about Mrs. Yes, Fletcher. Yes, Fletcher. This is an HBO dramedy. It's a half-hour program. Uh, Tom Perota, who's the dude that wrote The Leftovers, uh, he also wrote the book that uh, was it Election. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, he's a guy that has a very sort of interesting sense of humor and likes really grounded, just like human stories and minds up for the comedy. He wrote this book called Mrs. Fletcher, and he's since turned it into this limited-run TV series. So it's a single-season run. I don't think they're going to do more. Uh, Catherine Hahn plays the titular uh, Mrs. Fletcher, and the show is about a woman who has... Uh, she divorced from her husband a couple of years ago, and she's been raising a teenage boy by herself. She's kind of like an NPR listener type. Uh, she's you know very much just focused on making sure that she's given her son the best opportunity in life to you know, become like a fully rounded person. But she hasn't done a very good job at that because he's kind of just turned into like this bit of a meathead. He treats his, you know, girlfriend, if you can even use that phrase uh, properly, just really badly. He doesn't really respect women. He's just kind of like one of these sort of teenage guys that kind of grunts his way through life. But he's able to get away with it because he's just a bit handsome. So he's just, he's an awful teenage boy. He goes off to college for the first time, and so she finds herself in a house where she doesn't have her husband anymore, like he's off starting a new family, her teenage son's off at college, and she's, you know, trying to work out, who am I, what does it really mean to be me? 
So she's having an existential crisis, and because the teenage boy is, you know, just lazily, like, packed up his life and left for college, she suddenly finds herself able to access his computer and discovers the hardcore lesbian pornography that he's been watching. Mm. And she realises, I kind of like this. So as she's trying to work out who she is, she's also coming to terms with her sexuality a little bit because suddenly she's kind of found this side of herself that she's never really considered before. So she's kind of thinking about like lesbian pornography and a little bit of light bondage sort of mixed into that as well. And so it's kind of her awkwardly like feeling her way through that, quite literally. As awkwardly as I'm listening to you talk about this right now. So you've got that happening as one storyline. She's got a side storyline as well where as part of the quest to find out who she is, she's gotten involved in a writer's group. Okay, so like obviously she's exploring the body at home, but exploring the mind when she goes out with this writers group. The writers group has a uh, trans woman who's running the group, and she's a little bit standoffish. But very quickly she sort of warms up to like the group of uh, four people like within the group, and it's Mrs. Fletcher. It's like this teenage boy and these uh, two other guys. One of them works construction, and there's an African American guy who I can't remember what he actually does as a career. I don't think it's anything interesting. It's like a administrative sort of thing from memory that I really delve into his sort of uh, life that much. Uh, but within that, there's an episode where they all go out drinking. And so they have like this sort of great sort of bonding night when they're out. And there's this really great storyline and I don't know where it's going. Like I'm halfway through the yeah. series. Uh, but the trans teacher and like the African-American guy, the two of them have got like a bit of a spark going on. And you're sort of watching them as they're navigating their way through a relationship where the guy like, quite clearly has never like considered a trans person as someone that he wants to get involved with. But, you know, he's quite drawn to her and, you know, he's pursuing that as a relationship. And she's very concerned about the way that is um, happening because she's seeing, like, all these warning signs of him sort of being skittish about the relationship and trying to back away from it. Yeah. And meanwhile, you can see that this guy who he's completely out of his depth, he's never really dealt with this before, he's going as far as he can to just try to keep this relationship going. And he's trying to work through, like... It's very internalized, which you don't see on TV very often. Yeah. But you can kind of see his struggle just going, you know, this is something I want to be a part of. Like, how can I get past the mental barriers that I have to be part of this? Mm. And so I'm really fascinated to see where that storyline goes because I've never seen this on TV before. Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, the son, you get to follow him through his college experience. And because he's this meathead, just like awful, just human being... Uh, he suddenly finds himself butting, ahead, butting up against all these people in college who are progressive. And yes, yes. Want to be doing interesting college-based experiences. And they're all looking at him like he's an idiot because he is. Yeah, he's, yeah. You know, doesn't really deserve to be there, let alone, you know, actually sort of engage in the broader culture around him. There's a girl who kind of takes a shine to him despite the fact that she knows better. And so you kind of got like this sort of budding romance, but at the same time, she's ex- like kind of opening his mind up to the fact that there are other viewpoints out there and that he needs to maybe come to the party a little bit more in order to actually function in the world. So it's, you know, you've got this woman, Mrs. Fletcher, who's exploring, you know, who she really is. And you've got this guy who's kind of discovering who he might be. And you've got this uh, trans lady and also the African-American guy who both of them are discovering what could be. Mm. So there's just like these interesting strands of real human drama and comedy. Life. Yeah. Life stuff. Oh, look, it sounds good. It sounded terrible when I read the synopsis of it, but you've and it's a almost sold me It's a hard on. sell, like because there's nothing specific that is really going on, but there's something very charming about each of the characters. Like, the and I like to, you know, it seems like a low-stakes kind of story. It is so low-stakes. Oh, that's good. I like that. And there's these really great human moments, and that's kind of what really sells the show. So yeah. uh, the first couple of episodes, because Mrs. Fletcher works in a uh, like retirement home, 
Uh, so there's like an older guy who's got some issues going on. I don't want to say what they are because part of the fun of the show is actually seeing this sure. sort of shake out. Uh, but anyway, she becomes quite attached to him. And so that's a really interesting stand for, strand for a couple of episodes sort of seeing how, you know, that changes her and what it opens up her, you know, uh, sense of self to. But anyway, if you want to see just like a good human-centered drama, which has some very funny life out loud moments to it, Mrs. Fletcher, it's great. Carrie Brownstein has directed a couple of episodes. Yeah, literally a couple. So she did two yeah, episodes. Two. I want to say it's like maybe like four and five or something. Mm, that's yeah. interesting. But no, it's a good high quality HBO production. Good stuff. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. yeah. So it's almost finished its run in the US and it launches here in Australia on, I want to say it's December 8th on Fox Showcase. Excellent. Mm. Chris Yates, I believe that you are talking about a TV show which features the world's most perfect man. No, I'm not in it, but it does star uh, somebody who we're both very fond of, Paul Rudd, and also stars Paul Rudd. I see what you did there. (laughs) Maybe he has a brain tumour. Inoperable, I hope. He's better than me in everything, with work, with Kate. Are you seriously jealous of you? Do you know a place that sells guns? I hate you! I am you! Now, Chris... There's the joke that, well, not really a joke, but you know, that phrase about women wants him and men want to be him. I kind of feel that Paul Rudd's the kind of guy where men want to be him and also they want him. <laughs> well, Am I just speaking for myself? Yeah, I think, well, perhaps, like, I don't know, in the heat of the moment, if I was confronted with that choice, I don't know what, I can't honestly say, I would say no, Dan. Um, but yes, Paul Rudd, I, I think he's very, very funny. I think he's a excellent, uh, you know, he, he's obviously not a um, an amazing actor with a great range and depth, but he's no. very, very entertaining to watch. Uh, he's in the best Marvel movies um, that have been made in the last little while, um, being, well, at least Ant-Man. I don't know how good Ant-Man and the Wasp was. The end was pretty bad. What, the post-credit sequence? That's just because the... it had the end of all the other same films. Um, <laughs> oh, because it's a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, okay, so this is a new show um, for... Uh, is this a Netflix show, Dan? Netflix drama. Well, dramedy. Dramedy. Uh, look, to be honest, there, was, there hasn't been a whole lot of drama in it so far. There hasn't um, been a whole lot of comedy either. <laughs> but y- yes, yeah, so you've watched. I've watched about four episodes. I think you've watched about the same. Yeah, three to four episodes. It's kind of remarkable how they've managed to make this not very funny. It's amazing how they've taken the most charming screen presence on screen and made it completely lifeless. And like, and put two of them, two of them there, yeah. and it's still there's still not a, really anything going on at all. So the premise is basically what he he goes he goes to what he thinks is going to be like a self help seminar. He, he's a guy in a bit of a rot. Yeah, and it turns out to be not a. It turns out to be a place where they actually clone you so you can have all the best parts of yourself but not the any of the baggage and the memory and the stuff that drags you down uh, which isn't I don't know they didn't really get into how well, they managed he, to do that he's sort of going through some depression and he goes to a place where they promise to make him like feel better about himself but what's really happening is they clone the person I don't really know how they make them happier but <laughs> I can't remember that core part of it either they sort of brush over it but then like the original body they more or less just murder and like bury yeah, out in the woods yeah bury out in the woods but, but the but problem is is that the Paul Rudd that they bury out in the woods isn't actually dead and he comes to and then yes. suddenly there's two, two Paul Rudds. Yes, and so they decide that whether they're going to... Uh, one of the Paul Rudds is going to leave and take off and start a new life in the, somewhere else, but then he realises that's not what he wants to do and they both want to be with the wife. So they try to like join forces to make 
themselves a better person. Yeah, basically it's multiplicity, but it goes for much longer. Much longer, not, not, not as many jokes. Multiplicity, the, is it an Ivan Reitman film? I want to say it's an Ivan Reitman film. Uh, I feel um, like Harold Ramis is starring, involved there. Oh yeah, Harold Ramis, interchangeable in my head, those guys. And uh, starring Michael Keaton, of Correct. course, and the beautiful Annie McDowell. And yes, this doesn't have either of them in it, but it does have Paul Rudd, so jeez, you'd, 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 you are, I was definitely hoping for a lot more, I guess, because of the Rudd factor, and because it's a quirky idea that if well Far From Original could still be, you know, endlessly mined for humour, you would imagine. The thing, you, the thing with the show is, like, just based on the premise alone, it feels like it could be like a Mikhail Gondry... Feel, yeah, yeah, like sure. That. There could like, have been something a bit deeper going on, yes. Yeah, and I like that it isn't like just an all-out goofy comedy because you think, oh, cloning thing with Paul Rudd, and that could be multiplicity. Or it could be like McCult Gondry doing like an Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind kind of a sensibility to it. Yeah. And that'd be great, but there's something about McCult Gondry and his visual flourish as a director and actually like mining some very sort of serious moments for comedic potential. And even if it's not, like, comedy, like, just get that sort of sense of great melancholy that he seems yes. to really revel in. And you can kind of feel that, like, with maybe a different director, they could have done something with this material, but there's nothing really evident that <laughs> it's, there's anything happening. It's, it's it, yeah, like, it's, it is TV wallpaper. It really is. And it's bizarre because it shouldn't, you know, it's one of those things where on, I'm sure on paper it sounded great, in the meetings it sounded great, and I'm sure everyone thought it was going to be a big hit. And, and I'm sure the name Mikel Gondry was dropped God knows how many times during the Yeah, sale. to try and like... Was that pitching it? Yeah, but it's... Um, yeah, uh, I would uh, absolutely... We haven't... Just, uh, we should, I, should, I just want to clarify, we haven't talked about this one at all, and I was interested to hear um, before getting on here because... Um, I was I was disappointed and I didn't know whether my expectations were just too high or whether you would have the same uh, the similar experience and you do so that's yeah. interesting. Uh, I saw like a bunch of critics online just talking about essentially what we've just said. Right. And I came to it thinking, look, they can't be right. Like it kind of feels like just maybe they're missing something. Maybe they're being a bit harsh. Yeah. And also there were American critics, and I sometimes find that American critics tend to miss some of the like more subtle nuance that exists in some shows. Yeah. Like there might be creators of whom are able to come to the table with that sort of material, but sometimes critics just have a bit of a negative reaction against it, and it takes a European yeah, yeah, or yeah. British sentiment to sort of jump on board with it. I thought maybe that's what was happening here. Not the case at no. all. Like, they were just on the money. Yeah, yeah, not at all. Uh, so, I don't know. Is that one getting another another run? Or Doubt it. No. I'd imagine the completion rates on that show is pretty limited. Yeah. Uh, so, that'll be two more that don't complete it. Um, yeah. So, there you go. Paul yep. Rudd, living with yourself. Sorry, Paul, we didn't like it. Yeah. I'll still watch your next thing. No, I'll absolutely watch the next thing. <laughs> what is the next thing? You said it in a way to suggest that you might know what that is. Oh, it doesn't even matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. You're I'm there for it. it. Yeah, we'll watch everything. Should we watch the, should we watch the last episode of this at least or something and see what happens I mean, with it? You can report back. All right, I will. Yeah. Sounds or, good. Or don't on that lap either way. <laughs> um, and now, so that means I think you've got to do one more show. Um, if I must, Chris. <laughs> Dan, if you've got it in you to, bl- to bless the, our audience with one more... Um, Discussion. Can you please tell me what have you been watching? Chris, I have watched the new M. Night Shyamalan show, Servants. Do you know who you welcomed into your home? Leanne? Leanne Grayson? Hello, Mrs. Turner. Hi, I'm Sean. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Turner. You have a beautiful home. She is a godsend. I was expecting someone older, less weird. 
We hope you'll treat our house as your home. I'm sure you and Jericho will form an instant bond. She's cool with everything? She knows the situation. So, Chris, M. Night Shyamalan, what was the last M. Night film that you saw? Uh, it would be um, the... No, I didn't. I was going to say The Sixth Sense, but I saw the one after that. What was the one straight after it? Uh, that would have been... Sorry, trying to work off the top of my head. Uh, the Aliens of Lando, there's the water, there's the... No, Bruce ha- Willis. Haven't seen that one. So probably, maybe it was The Sixth Sense. But I was really interested to read a, a story that he actually... Signs. Signs, yes. Uh, he had a... He, he basically, Hollywood stopped calling for a while. Pretty much. Yeah, which I was sort of surprised to hear because the hype and the uh, regard for him for a period of time was unparalleled. Okay, well, let's talk about the M. Night Shyamalan filmography. Please. So, the film that we all think is his first film isn't really his first film. No. It was his third film. Uh, that was The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Big show. A uh, big film. People have probably heard of it. Loved it. The next film wasn't Signs. It was Unbreakable. Oh, that's the one. Uh, yes, I have seen that yeah. one. Yeah, Huge yeah. Huge expectation and lots of people were bored out of their mind by yeah. it. And I've gone back to watch that film like a little while ago and it was, I think it's aged, but, like, aged well. Oh, yeah, right. That's yeah. interesting. It was so much better than when I'd seen it initially. It, but, but that was the level, there was a level of like excitement around that guy. That, yeah. That obviously if it wasn't another amazing kind of film with uh, that level of reveal, then um, yeah, it probably was going to fall over, unfortunately. Yeah. And then there was Signs, which I actually think is a fairly decent drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was The Village. Nah. Uh, there's Lady in the Water. And one of those two films also has Paul Giamatti in it. But mm. I'm not sure which one it is. That would make it a bit better. Yeah, I want to say Lady in the Water is the Giamatti Sure, film. why not? Uh, he's got the film The Happening, which I think is one of the greatest beer movies of all time. Uh. If you're sitting around with friends and you've you know got a few under your belt, you're going to have a great time with that movie. Anyone else, I think, is maybe a bit of a struggle. Right. You've got to be drunk to watch it, you're saying? You have to be very drunk. Okay. Uh, there was also The Last Airbender, which was universally reviled. Uh, there was After Earth, which was a Will Smith film, I want to say. Yikes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's no good. Uh, he made the film Split, which people got excited by because it was kind of a fun, interesting movie. And then it had an interesting twist, which revealed that it's set in the same universe as Unbreakable. Mm. And then there was uh, earlier this year... Was it earlier this year? Oh my God. It had to come out last year. Doesn't make any sense. A film called Glass, which oh, yeah, is yeah. the sequel to both Split and Unbreakable, mm. which brings the universes together. Terrible movie. Oh, that's a shame. Shockingly bad. <laughs> so what's the, deal with, what's the deal with this guy? How come he can crank out some gems and then some stinkers? I think what the deal is, and he's produced a few things along the way, which is what we're dealing with with Servant. Right. So we'll get into that in just a sec. But I think the general M. Night thing is that he's a very bold director who's got some very big ideas and he tries to ground the ideas as well and come to it from a very sort of naturalistic human perspective and bring these big ideas to a sort of um, relatable kind of a way sure i think sometimes it works sometimes it it doesn't yeah right well that makes sense yeah and you know it's not as though i think he's a terrible filmmaker i think he's a very considered filmmaker and spends a lot of time really thinking through why something should be but it's uh, it just doesn't necessarily always work. And that's fine. Like, I would go and see any M. Night Shyamalan film purely because I know that he's bold. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's interesting. And, yeah. you know, you, if you're going to have some risks, that's where you get some good stuff sometimes. No, exactly. I mean, sometimes it gives you most of his filmography, which, you know, that's fine as well. But I'm willing to sit through <laughs> yeah. them for the good yeah. ones that come along. 
Uh, but he's got the show that he's produced for Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, he hasn't written the show or created it. Uh, the actual writer-creator is this dude named Tony Bag- uh, Basgallop. Uh, now that's a guy who's responsible for writing things like 24 Live Another Day. Uh, he wrote a series called Hotel Babylon... Uh, he did a few episodes of Berlin Station. So it's just like a journeyman writer. What was the 24th joke you made? Was that a joke? No, no. It was a series he had called 24 Live Another Day. That was the uh, revival series, which was set in the UK. Oh. And it was Kiefer Sutherland running around London shooting mm. guns and stuff. Yeah. It should have been better. <laughs> That's a good... Kiefer Sutherland in London shooting guns. I'm, yeah. I'm, I would be down for that. Like you should be there for it. Uh, so this is a very uh, single set kind of a show. Uh, it's a house in New York City. You've got this couple that are like in their, I want to say very late 30s, early 40s maybe. A uh, dude named Sean who's a uh, cook or a chef uh, by trade. Or maybe like a chef photographer. Hmm. He seems to be taking a lot of photos of food hmm. through the first episode. He's got his wife uh, played by Lauren Ambrose who you may know by face. Uh, she's been in things over the years. I want to say she was in uh, Six Feet Under. She played Claire, the daughter. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's also in uh, Can't Hardly Wait, Psycho Beach Party. Can't Hardly Wait, uh, Tom... Is that the Tom Hanks movie? No. No, that's uh, that thing you do. What's Can't Hardly Wait? Uh, it's like a teen comedy, kind of like a John Hughes style, like set in a single party throughout the night. Oh, that movie's great. Yeah, I knew I liked fun. it. But anyway, she's like one of the real charming sort of breakouts from that film. Great. So anyway, Lauren Ambrose is in there, is excited by that. She's got this husband played by Tony Kebble, who I didn't really know. Uh, Rupert Grint from the Harry Potter films plays her brother in it. <laughs> okay, and then you got this other actress who I don't know her. She's like a UBR. Her name is uh, Nell Tiger Free, which is apparently a name. But anyway, the premise of this is basically you've got this couple... They've recently had a child born. The mm-hmm. child made it to 13 weeks and died. Horrible stuff. Really sad. Okay. And they live in like this sort of grand, like New York, uh, like brownstone house. Yep. Okay. In the month, well, like it seems to have picked up somewhere like maybe about six weeks after the child's passed. Mm-hmm. And the wife just had like an immediate shutdown. She couldn't really cope with the world. And a psychiatrist has given her this baby doll mm-hmm. as like a child surrogate. So she can kind of behave as though this child exists but it's really a doll yeah sure so it's trying to work through the grief anyway as we pick up the series uh they've hired a nanny who's in the house to look after the child while the wife goes back to work right she works as a tv journalist uh like for a low rent like um local news station it's not it's not serious like journalism by any means she's you know uh dogs trapped in the world should be reporting on that great that kind of thing so she's gone back to work. A lot of people work. care about dogs in Wells, Dan. Exactly. She's gone back to work, but she's hired this uh, nanny. And the nanny they've picked up from, like, it's a friend of a friend of a friend's recommended it. And they thought she was going to be one thing. And she turns up and she's actually this really religious, like, very uh, insular, just quiet person who the husband's a little bit weirded out by. He doesn't really quite know how to deal with her. Right. Anyway, he's looking at this dummy and... As the wife's going off to work, he finally gets an opportunity to talk to the nanny and he's like, well, you know, this is kind of what the situation is. It's a little bit sad and, you know, if you can you know, do what you can here. But she just starts behaving like the dummy is a real baby. Right. And even when the wife is not in the house, she just keeps the pretense up. Right. Meanwhile, she's also putting up these little crosses around the house that she's woven herself out of like some little wood type things. And you reach the end of the first episode and I'm going to give the spoiler as to how the episode ends because... I've only seen the first two of what'll be like eight episodes, maybe. 
And stuff starts getting weird after that. But I think if I explain what the twist is here, people will get on board and it's not a surprising twist. All right. You reach the end of the episode, which is the episode directed by M. Night before he hands off the reins to all the other directors. Mm-hmm. So you can attach your names to the show, but not necessarily do much of the work. Uh, the end of the episode has him looking into the crib and finds that it's a real baby in there. Right. So the doll has disappeared and it's this real baby. Right. And he doesn't understand what the crap's going on. Yes. He finds that in the next episode that he suddenly starts getting all these like splinters in his body. Okay. And he ends up choking like over a meal that his wife cooks at one point and starts finding splinters like in the food. And you don't know what's going on, but you know that this lady is leaving these wooden crosses around the house. Yes. So it's got something to do there. He doesn't know what's going on. She's creepy. The entire show is creepy AF. Like it is a... Horror is hard to translate on television. Yeah. Okay, so traditionally films do it very well because you can pace things out really nicely. Yeah. TV's always struggled with that. But now in the age of streaming, you can actually do some really interesting stuff. We can pace things out and actually make it... Yeah. Like just build that tension. And this show is taking maximum advantage of that where scenes take their time and just the general mood like there's no need to go to a commercial break anytime soon they can just let a series of scenes play out just to build that constant dread yeah yeah and the half hour episode so it's a super easy watch but at the same time like you leave it just feeling dirty and like i'm thinking about it i want to take a bath right now (laughs) it sounds very strange it's very sort of austere like the behavior of a lot of the characters but you've got this guy at the center of it who's freaking out because things have just gotten very strange in his life yeah it started out from a weird sad perspective and now it's gone to like a weird just you know he just can't wrap his brain around exactly what's going on in the household yeah fair enough yeah um but anyway Huge fun. I <laughs> only watched the first two. There's one more episode ready for me to watch right now. And it's dropping along with all the other Apple TV Plus shows on Fridays. So. Yeah, right. So they're all coming yeah. out on Fridays. I think that's interesting. Friday has become such a big TV night I for know. me now. That's- I'm watching Mand- uh, Mandalorian. I'm watching Servant now. I'm watching For All Mankind. I'm watching The Morning Show. How's anyone going out and doing anything in this party season with all these great shows on a Friday? I've given up. I'm just at home <laughs> drinking. <laughs> Um, that's good uh, what do you think what's what's going on with Apple these these are very strange shows that they have yeah. chosen for their uh, to launch their ridiculous I mean I'm shtick like I've already given my theory and it was on the episode of the podcast I did with Eddie Noafe mm. that was a couple of weeks ago and the, don't make me listen to that just tell me now you don't have to like the general, <laughs> my general sort of thought with the Apple TV Plus stuff is that they're making what's effectively a very good version of what we used to think about as broadcast TV shows yeah right so like if you think about through the 90s where broadcast TV started getting very sort of arty and creative mm. and there's a few examples going into the 2000s but pretty much I'm thinking about like that sort of era of like ER Chicago Hope Homicide Life on the Street NYPD Blue just those shows which kind of reached the peak of what you could do on a broadcast yeah. environment push things forward and then like in the 2000s you've got like the West Wing and the Good Wife and shows like that kind of carry that mantle but they just start to dissipate yeah 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 yeah. and so like all the big shows like there's some gorgeous looking TV shows now but they're just like standard procedurals which aren't doing anything you've got your Law and Orders you've got FBI you've got some NCISs yeah yeah like it's not really doing what TV was getting to be capable of yeah but I feel that the Apple TV Plus shows are kind of getting that sort of general aesthetic of well uh, I guess the accessibility of yeah. network shows and bringing it to a streaming environment. And every week when I sit down, like I watch the morning show, which isn't the greatest drama I've ever seen, but also it feels like it's just a very good network drama. And I'm yeah. excited about like reveling in characters that I've kind of got an attached to. And yeah, yeah, just yeah. the cheat, like 
it's not really cheesy, but it's just like the um, more shallow version of good drama. Yeah, 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 yeah. For All Mankind, I think sort of steps it up a little bit and it is like legitimately a bit more of a like traditional sort of streaming quality drama. But at the same time, I could also imagine a world where NBC could be broadcasting that same show. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, no one would be watching it on NBC. But I can kind of just imagine that happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Servant kind of feels like that as well. It's just like this really accessible horror in a way where you think about maybe like the Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was a very specific tone that I think uh, some viewers would either really take to or some people would just sort of back away going, that's not really for me. Yeah. Whereas I think Servant is just kind of just shallow enough for people to be able to say, that was really creepy. I had a great time watching that without really needing to like devote a lot of their soul yeah yeah it. yeah yeah sure yeah it's a very it's a very interesting thing I'll be uh, super interested to see what other because obviously they're going to make yeah. some int- they're making some bold decisions about what to program so here's what I don't understand about what Apple to TV Plus which is that they've had their week where they had the first three shows come out so you had C which is the show with Jason Momoa which I don't really care much for and keep forgetting it exists mm-hmm. For All Mankind and The Morning Show You've got those running, and then a few weeks later, they've now dropped the servant, uh, servant into it. Just servant, not the servant. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week, they've got the show, which is about. I'm trying to think who the actress is, and I, I want to say it's Octavia Spencer. I'm not 100% sure I'm right with that, though. Uh, but anyway, you've got this thing. It's like a radio or podcaster, or like radio host or podcaster or something. I'm not even sure what the show's about exactly, but that drops next week. And then you've got the first wave of shows that reach the end of their first season. So I don't know when they're going to have the next lot of shows start. Yeah. So like Christmas is in a way. So I guess that makes it hard to launch new shows. But yeah, so I'm guessing maybe first week of January, we just start seeing a few new shows. And do you know what those shows shows are going to be at this point? Not a clue because I haven't announced anything. Wow, amazing. And I find that a bit weird. Yeah, it's all very... The whole thing's very strange the way it's come come together. But um, yeah, you know, more stuff is good. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, we talked about four things this week. It's been yes, we did. We talked about. I talked about uh, the uh, TV show Living with Yourself. Yep, I talked about HBO dramedy Mrs. Fletcher. I uh, can't remember what the other thing. Kevin Smith, Silent Deadly. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about Kevin Smith, uh, Silent but Deadly, and uh, had a few opinions about that. Yep, and I talked about the M Night Shyamalan show Servant. Which I keep calling M. Night, but like, it's not really his show. No, but that's obviously how they're selling it. And stuff, so yeah. That's fair enough. That that's will fine. be the way that people remember it. So It's what caught my attention initially. I'm not going to gussy that up. Big times, big times for TV. We talked a little bit about some of the other stuff we've been watching. I've watched a little tiny bit of um, The Irishman. And when I say a little tiny bit, I mean the first hour and a half. So I think I've still got three hours to go or something. Uh, you've got seven hours left <laughs> of The Irishman. <laughs> Hugely enjoyable hour and a half. So uh, you watch an hour and a half all in one sitting? Yeah. Yeah. About an hour and 20 minutes, I think I watched him one go. Did you not keep on watching it because you just can't? No, no, it was just I, like time limitation because it was midnight and I had to be in bed. I would have definitely kept watching it. That's uh, fair enough. I was very much, um, I was very along for the ride. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, what's not to like, really? Like, it's a really good film. It's just yeah. not an essential movie. Well, what is? Oh, well, I mean, where do we begin? <laughs> have you ever seen Office Space? <laughs> Police Academy 3? Well, Police Academy 4. I 4, think I know, agree. I know, you're like 4. Um, well, it's because it's the best one for us. No, I really... I did the citizens are on patrol. <laughs> that's not 4. 4 is Mission Miami. No, that's number 5. 4 isn't citizens on patrol, surely. Police Academy. <laughs> Police Academy, their first assignment. Police Academy, back in training. Police Academy... Citizens on Patrol, all right, all Police right. Academy, Assignment Miami Beach, Police Academy Five. Uh, no, that's sorry, that's Miami Beach. Uh, yeah. Number six is City Under Siege. <laughs> number seven is Mission to Moscow. 
And then do you want me to name the individual episodes of the Police Academy live action show? No, no. I uh, definitely don't. Um, <laughs> there was a show? Yeah. How do I not know that? Uh, it starred the guy that played Tackleberry, R.I.P. He was in it. Real Tackleberry was in it. Um, yeah. So, he was- like, oh, No, I, do. I, re- a, I remember. A lot of them made appearances in it, but it was about his sons had joined the yes, Police Academy. Yes, for sure. Uh, please stop Obviously. talking about- Please stop talking about that now. Um, <laughs> I can't even remember how we got onto it. Uh, vital Films. Oh, no. Scorsese. Yes, it's very good. I, I, I really love the way- From Scorsese <laughs> to the Police Academy movies <laughs> in a, just a beat. It's in a beat. That's how we go. Um, I, I also got really happy when I saw that Scorsese was angry at people watching it in increments and not watching the whole thing in a row. So I'm glad that I've caused a little bit of anger to Scorsese by watching it that way. You know how we could have avoided that? <laughs> by not doing his first Netflix movie. It's a three and a half hour film. Exactly. We got lives, dude. We can't just we don't get to make one movie every five years and just like live a life of leisure. So I got, so I've seen all of the Irishmen. I sat it in one sitting mm. because I'm better than most people. Yeah. No. Um, no. Because you got less going on. No. Like quite literally, I always planned I would go and see it in the cinema. Yeah. Because there was a brief cinema release for it just as a way to appease Scorsese more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, but I got to see it just before the cinema release. I got to see like a press screening that yeah. you know, Netflix put on for like media people. Um, so I went to that and I really wanted to make sure I saw it on the big screen because I knew I would not watch it at home. Right. And as I was leaving the cinema, so I had seen it with uh, former guests on Always Be Watching, uh, Blake Howard. Oh, yes. And also uh, Garth from Dark Horizons. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to the two of them afterwards and my immediate first thought was, what is the completion rate going to be like with people watching it at home? Mm. Because I can imagine a lot of people going, this sounds great, and get like 15, 20 minutes in and start to waver a little bit. And by the time you hit that hour mark, I think lots of people are reaching there for remotes. Look, I'm a massive Scorsese fan, so I don't mm. know whether that, uh, you know, so I'm just, I'm, I'm along for the ride no matter what kind of thing. Even if, yeah. it's, even if it's not his best work, I'm still going to watch it and I'm still going to enjoy it. It's not his best work, but it's still better than most other films. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right. And I still really, I really, really liked what I saw. I thought that, um, but yeah, I don't know. But yes, I haven't. Who knows if I will <laughs> ever reach that completion point i really hope to but well, there's anything could happen life could happen yeah. so yeah it's um it's a big commitment but yeah really loved it what i've seen so far anyway hmm. um and yes yeah, just so much other stuff uh has been keeping me very busy watching shows so it's kind of a, it's i'm at the point where it's a it's a bit of a stretch to squeeze new stuff in but i will do it because of all the you know because of all the stuff i'm trying to keep up on <sighs> so anyway i'll make a big effort for next week dan yeah now, Chris Yates, we're about to reach our Christmas yes. period. Uh, so, because I'm me, I'm going to mm. find a way to make sure that there's episodes just constantly through Christmas. Excellent. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you'll hear Chris next week. Yes, I'll be here. I'm not yeah. going anywhere. I've been laughing really thought through the plan as to how this is going to work. So, I assume that you'll hear Chris next week. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm not... Yeah, unless you're trying yeah. to get rid of me for the summer season so you can bring in a replacement host and see if they've got more personality and charm and then replace me. I would never. <laughs> I'm glad Eddie doesn't live live in Sydney. Uh, yeah, no. I, I, but, I, I, but that said, I'm going to be in Brisbane for a couple of weeks, so you're probably going to hear a few oh, yeah, Brisbane yeah. people. That would be really fun during that time. Get some of those morons on there. Yeah. That'd be great. So I'm going to rope Eddie into a yeah. podcast where both of us are in the one place and not over a very dodgy Skype connection. That'll be excellent. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to be in Brisbane, so sucked in. Yeah. Brisbane and you. Well. Because you, know, you will be there. There's some important drinking that's going to be happening out there, Chris. <laughs> but anyway, that's enough of that conversation. We will do that off microphone. <laughs> let's let's not just waste. catch up later, yes. Yeah. So, right. Chris, tell me how your weekend was. <laughs> no, uh, this has been Always Be Watching. You can check us out on the web, alwaysbewatching.com. You can find us on Twitter at abwatching. You can find me at the Dan Barrett. You can find the Facebook group for Always Be Watching. 
on Facebook. Mm, Facebook.com, I think it's a popular website. It is. I lurk there sometimes in the group. Yeah. Uh, you can also sign up to the daily newsletter, alwaysbewatching.com. And yeah, there's my sister companion podcast, which is about sister wives. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Wouldn't it just? Uh, but no, the podcast is about classic Disney movies. It's called Disney Plus. Dan, that's me. <laughs> and that comes out when I remember to publish it. Yes. Usually Fridays. And um, I've heard it's very good. Yeah. My mum's been putting the word out there. <laughs> that was my jerk way of telling you I haven't listened to it yet. Um, Fine. Anyway. You don't get to meet my sister wives. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me again, Dan. It's always a pleasure. Um, I look forward to hearing what you've been watching next week. And I'm off to watch more Paul Rudd movies. 